Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 75 of the Snyder Cut. I am your soon-to-be-vaccinated host, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider. That's right, right after I get this vaccine, right after I tape this podcast, I'm going for vaccine number one. Everybody's got to do it. Just wait till you're eligible and get in there, get the shot. Um, All right, where do we want to start? We want to start with little Steve Spielberg growing up in Arizona, making eight millimeter movies in the backyard, all the while dealing with the trials and tribulations of adolescence and his parents and whatnot. Uh, That's right, Steven Spielberg has announced that his uh, next movie is shaping up to be a very personal coming of age movie. Um, and it is a, it is based on his own childhood, on, on his own experiences of childhood. He dealt with anti-Semitism growing up in the in the suburbs of uh, Phoenix or, or whatever. Um, and Michelle Williams, four-time Oscar nominee, is going to be playing his young protagonist mother. He's not going to be playing Leah Spielberg or whatever exactly. She will have her own separate original voice. Not that the general public knows uh, what what Leah Spielberg's voice was like or whatever. Um, but I like it. I like that, like, this movie could very well be special. I don't need to see Spielberg doing Ready Player Ones or Indiana Jones Fives or the West Side Story. I mean, I know he had, like, this itch to do a musical for a long time, and I'm glad that he scratched it, but, uh, you know, I want him to tell personal stories, you know, leave the big budget wizardry as good as he is at that. Like, you know, he, he's sort of moved into a, a producing role, an advisory role in the Jurassic Park movies and stuff. So I want to see Spielberg making these personal um, stories. Um, and he's, he, he, he did kind of have like a fascinating upbringing, not just, you know, growing up with all these sisters but like his parents' relationship was very interesting. His parents got divorced, you know, I think, I don't know if he was in high school or if he graduated by then. Um, But like he moved in with his father and uh, I think that his father kind of allowed his kids to resent him a little bit when really what he was doing was protecting their mother because their mother had sort of fallen in love with another man. And, uh, and but, but their dad is the one who bit the bullet on that to sort of preserve the way that they thought of, of their mother. And uh, I think that Stephen eventually forgave him later in life. And, and uh, I don't know, I'm very curious to see who he's going to cast as the father in this alongside Michelle Williams. As fascinating as that project is, you know, Spielberg is now working with uh, the Duffer brothers, the guys who did Stranger Things on an adaptation of Stephen King's The Talisman. That is not one of like the Stephen King books that I'm particularly familiar with. Um, In fact, even the title alone, just The the Talisman, like I'm not interested in stories about talismans and and things like that. Uh, But I I suppose it was an inevitability that Spielberg and the Duffers would be working together. I mean, they certainly seem to have similar sensibilities. It seems like the Duffers were raised on a steady diet of Amblin projects growing up and, and, and Stranger Things. You can see that as a clear homage to the work of, of 80s era Spielberg. Um, so yeah, the, you know, Stephen King, Steven Spielberg, you can find two bigger Stevens than that, plus the Stranger Things guys. That is definitely going to be a, a project worth keeping an eye on. 
uh, even if it is not my personal uh, cup of tea among the, the Stephen King oubois. Um, a lot of stuff happening with directors. A lot of director news this week. So, uh, you know, David Fincher talked about how he's doing, he's working on a film appreciation series. And this is something that I've sort of known about for a couple of years uh, and have been sworn to secrecy about, but it, it sounds absolutely fascinating. I mean, you know, the same way that Fincher just did his his personal project uh, in Mank, it wasn't about his childhood, obviously, it's about Citizen Kane, but his father, uh, his late father wrote the script and it was definitely a way to honor um, his father's memory. I want to hear what makes Fincher tick. And I think that we'll get a little bit in this film appreciation series because these, I think it's going to be appreciated in the movies that, that Fincher grew up watching. What movies did Fincher, like, you know, we always get like, I don't know, here's Martin Scorsese's like 100 movies, favorite 100 movies or Edgar Wright's, you know, 100 movies uh, that, that you could watch in place of a film school. Um, but I don't feel like we get enough out of like Fincher, uh, as, as far as the, the education and stuff goes. And so I'm glad that he's spending his time and efforts on the, on this film appreciation, appreciation series, which I believe is for Netflix, um, you know, his, his home there. Um, and I think it's going to allow him to do some pretty innovative things. I think we're going to hear from people that you and I know, uh, I think that they may be involved in, in this series. So I'm just, I, I can't wait to see the, the different talking heads that, that David recruits for this and which movies they will actually be discussing and whether David is, is influencing that lineup or if each person is sort of uh, able to pick one movie and, and do a deep dive on it. Uh, almost like a, a series of, um, I don't know, like Criterion Collection commentary tracks or something like that. I really like um, that Netflix show, you know, the movies that made us. And I think this would be a more like, erudite you know it's not just like big crowd pleasing movies from the 80s but maybe a little bit uh, art artistic a little headier um yeah but that, that, i think it's a good model uh michael b jordan signing on to officially make his directorial debut on creed 3 which will come out next november november 2022. Um, I think this was an inevitability. I think Michael B. Jordan, you know, you see the way that he carries himself in Hollywood, the way there's, he like envisions himself as, as a brand, as a producer without Lear Society. I think it was inevitable that he was going to step behind the camera and, and direct a, a movie. And, and why not do it on Creed, where, you know, he is, is the third film. This is his franchise now. It's really his baby. Um, he sort of follows that along or not the long, but the, the legacy of like Stallone coming in to, to direct these movies himself, right? Um, I would imagine that Stallone would return in some capacity for this. If, I don't know. It's just like, it, how do you make one of these movies in the Rocky franchise without Rocky? I imagine that, that Michael B. Jordan will find a way to, to get Stallone to, to come back. Like, hey man, I sort of revitalized this franchise. The least you could do is give me a cameo or something like that. Um, yeah, big week for, for Michael B. Jordan between that Creed 3 announcement and Without Remorse trailer and whatnot. Kenneth Branagh signing on to direct a Bee Gees movie. Now, this was a bit of a head scratcher, but also not really. I mean, Kenneth Branagh is a Oscar-nominated and Oscar-nominated filmmaker, right? Yeah, he's coming off of Artemis Fowl, which featured friggin' dirt farts, right? But, uh... I don't know. I think Kenneth Branagh is a pretty solid filmmaker. He kind of fits the model for this. 
Um, you know, he, he's done big movies like Thor before. He's used to working under pressure. I, I don't think we can just judge him off his last movie, Artemis Fowl. I mean, you know, look at uh, Murder on the Orient Express, which was a, a big hit. And I'm sure Death on the Nile will be as well. Um, the Bee Gees movie. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought for of like a Shakespeare fan like like Kenneth Branagh, uh, but I, I guess it's not just Shakespeare. He, he likes to to shake it and boogie down. Um, I loved the Frank Marshall documentary "How Can You Mend a Broken Heart." I, I really did like it. You know, especially the more that I think about that, there's just a lot to mine between you know the music and and the brothers' relationship and you know the backlash to disco. I mean, there's a lot going on there with the Bee Gees movie, and and so I think that you know with Graham King producing this, the, the producer of Bohemian Rhapsody, like I think they're going to follow that template. I think if they know what they want to do with this one. They have the music rights, which is, you know, half the battle for a movie like this. And uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, eager to see who, who Kenneth Branagh casts as the three Gibb brothers. I thought Kenneth Branagh, by the way, is the only one who, who, who was like on the right page for Tenet, where he was just playing it like a big Bond villain. I, it, his was the only performance that I really, really liked in that movie. Uh, Elizabeth Banks lined up another, you know, directorial effort, uh, listen she's attached to a bunch of things and, and they have not gotten made and um i'm not exactly surprised by that but this actually sounds like something that a studio would pull the trigger on it's not this big expensive you know ya project which is like are we really are they really going to make those movies with elizabeth banks at the helm instead this one is like it's called cocaine bear and i believe it's like about some I don't know if it was like a package of cocaine that fell out of a helicopter. Or I don't know, like some cocaine that wound up in the woods and a bear got its paws on it and just started rampaging, like totally fucked up on cocaine. That sounds like an awesome premise. Elizabeth Banks is not who I would uh, maybe have thought of first for that. Um, but I just, I don't know how anybody could, could screw that premise up, right? Sounds like a surefire hit in in, in anyone's hands. Uh, and I know it's like, it's a fun movie to sort of joke about with the log line and whatnot, but I imagine that it had some pretty, you know, um, tragic consequences when a, when a bear uh, gets loose on cocaine. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, people were killed or if businesses were ruined, livelihoods lost. We'll see, we'll see. Um, Ron Howard, just, just now. I finished writing this up. The, uh, he, he set the cast for 13 Lives, which is his Thai cave rescue movie that is finally going before cameras later this month in Australia and Thailand. They got uh, a whole bunch of people to serve as like the, the you know, the, the various cave divers and uh, officials who were instrumental in, in helping these 12 boys and their soccer coach get out of this cave alive. And the cast is going to include Viggo Mortensen, Colin Farrell, and Joel Edgerton. That's three solid gets, I think you know, for a movie like this, um, they announced the, the, you know, the full cast, everyone who's going to be playing like the, the various Thai heroes and officials. Um, oh, excuse me. But I, I like this. I, I'm, I like what I'm seeing from 13 Lives. To me, it's like, uh, you know, Ron, Ron Howard's good at this kind of stuff. These rescue movies, right? What, what's Apollo 13, if not a, a rescue movie, although the guys have to rescue themselves. No, no one's really coming to, to help them. Um, I like Ron Howard working in this mode, though. Backdraft ransom, and uh, and yeah, I like I like this this trio. I like this trio a lot. 
I don't know what is the deal with Viggo Mortensen's Peter Farrelly movie, the, the greatest beer run ever. I thought that that is something that that might be going. Maybe he's gonna while he's over in that part of the world. Maybe they just bang that out back to back. I don't know. Chad Stahelski, the the John Wick director, signed on to do a movie called Classified, which is described as like Die Hard with more of an Indiana Jones type lead than a John McClane. Uh, it sounds like it's at you know one of those. You know, like a big warehouse type thing where various artifacts and, and uh, you know, objects are, are kept. And um, yeah, it's like diehard in, in a place like that. Sounds like it could be interesting, um, def- definitely promising. So just one more project for Chad Stahelski to add to his development slate. Kurt Sutter, the, the Sons of Anarchy creator, signed on to do his directorial debut, The Beast, at, uh, I think it's, is that Netflix, I want to say? Um, I was actually surprised that he'd never really directed a movie before. Uh, it makes sense that, that he would get this opportunity having created a couple of successful television shows. I mean, he's, he's one of the bigger TV writers out there. The Beasts, I mean, it sounded very kind of familiar. It sounded a little bit like Eight for Silver, where there's like this, you know, beast terrorizing this small town and, and you know, a, a group of people step up to hunt it or whatever. You know, sounds a little generic, but I'm sure that Kurt Sutter will find a way to put his unique spin on things. Uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Inyaratu has signed on to do Limbo, which is his first movie since The Revenant. I think that'll be, this will be a much smaller scale thing. I think he's just probably just itching to, to get back behind the camera. I don't know that they'll have like a big starry cast for something like that. Um, Tony Collette signed on to make her directorial debut, Writers and Lovers. And, and like, this is, this is, like the perfect person who I want to see being given these shots, like a Regina King, um, you know, these, these veteran actresses who've been on a lot of sets who paid their dues over the last 20 years. Now they're going to get a shot to, to direct themselves. Tony Collette's is called uh, writers and lovers. It's about, she, she's probably going to play a novelist in nineties Boston who falls for two men shortly after her own mother dies. Um, but yeah, to me, Tony Collette has absolutely earned this, this opportunity. And, and I look forward to finding out what her directorial voice is going to sound like. Uh, Natalie Portman and Lupita Nyong'o, a pair of Oscar winners, signing on to star in Lady in the Wake, a limited series over at Apple that will be directed by Alma Harrell, who did Honey Boy. Now, you know, I thought this was particularly interesting for a few reasons. Um, you know, Natalie Portman and Lupita Nyong'o are pretty picky. They, don't, they are not the kind of actresses who just attach themselves to a bunch of different projects and then, you know, hope, cross their fingers and hope and pray and see, and see what comes first. Like they're very exacting in particular in, in the career path that they've uh, laid out for themselves. Um, and this is like, you know, uh, Portman's a, a housewife, a single mom, or maybe not a single mom, but a, a housewife and mother who sort of uh, decides to you know, revamp her life and, and, and embrace uh, investigative journalism, which puts her on a path towards meeting, uh, you know, Lupita's character, who's out to, to get, you know, change in the black community in, uh, in Baltimore, I believe in the 60s. Um, yeah, it's, it sounds pretty interesting to me. And then Alma Harrell, like, you know, I liked Honey Boy. I didn't love Honey Boy. I think it suffered just by fact that it was released the same year as Peanut Butter Falcon. Like it helped it because it was like, oh, you have to see Shia's new movies. But when you compared one to the other, I, ju- I just preferred Peanut Butter Falcon. But Alma Harrell really did show some directorial chops with that. And so I'm like surprised that this project winds up at Apple. I mean, did, like, 
why didn't Amazon go to Alma Harrell, you know, who it's not that, you know, these street, these artists are, are owned or, and, and controlled by these streamers, but it's, you know, she's an Amazon piece of talent uh, in, in that sense after Honey Boy. Like how does Amazon not give her her own show to write and direct or on the flip side, just to flip it, why didn't Alma Harrell bring this show to Amazon? It's uh, it's curious, especially just because Amazon seems to have a much, you know, bigger subscriber base than Apple, at least at the moment. Who knows what that'll look like a year or two from now when the series finally debuts. But uh, I don't know. It just made me kind of scratch my head a little bit. Like I, if I was Amazon, I would have maybe worked a little bit harder to hang on to Alma Harrell um, or at least, you know, entice her to bring her next thing there. Uh, which now has two Oscar winners in, in, in tow, but they are now added to Apple's Galaxy of Stars, it seems. I can hear my niece just banging her head against the wall while she tries to take a nap. Um, Ramin Barani, hot off the White Tiger at Netflix, also going to Apple. This is another one where it's like, hang on to your talent. It's all about talent retention these days, folks. He is now jumping over to Apple to uh, direct and work on The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray, the Samuel L. Jackson series, which has also added Dominique Fishback from Judas and the Black Messiah, another, you know, Netflix actress who was in Project Power. Um, I mean, th th this series does sound interesting. And I, and I do think that Dominique Fishback may very well find herself with a surprise uh, Oscar nomination on Monday. We're going to talk about that stuff a little bit later in the show. Um, but I, I like that, you know, her and Sam Jackson, that, that's an interesting core. And with Ramin Barani at the helm, I think that that makes the show uh, certainly one to watch over at Apple. Uh, Amazon, st stealing some HBO talent now that uh, they are in negotiations to acquire Fuel, which would star uh, Journey Smollett from uh, Lovecraft Country and, and you know, reteam her with Misha Green, I believe it is. Um, and I think this is about a female getaway driver, which is an interesting take, you know? I don't think it's just as, as simple as like snapping your fingers and saying, oh, here, here's a great movie premise uh, that worked 10, 20 years ago or whatever, now just put a woman in. I, I don't think it's that simple, um, but, there is something kind of exciting. Like we don't really see a lot of female getaway drivers. Um, I don't know if I can name, I'm sure that I've seen another. Well, I guess, wasn't that, um, that, that foreign movie, uh, fuck. Veronica or no, Victoria, Victoria. Wasn't that kind of about that a little bit? Um, anyways, I, I, I thought it was funny because there was another series that was announced this week, Duster, right, uh, on HBO Max with uh, from J.J. Abrams, and, and he casts his lost pal, Josh Holloway. He's going to be playing a getaway driver for a criminal organization. So I, I kind of like just even like the idea of the, the getaway driver as a metaphor. Um, yeah, I like getaway, getaway driver stuff. I mean, look at Drive. Both of these shows are just like, you know, Ryan Gosling's Drive for the TV series. But hey, I'm all I'm all for more of that. Uh, Netflix announced a couple of projects. Right, they they cast for for Lost Ollie, its family series. Um, they they cast a little boy, and then Gina Rodriguez and Jake Johnson are going to play the parents. Jonathan Groff is going to voice uh, the, the the titled character, this sort of stuffed 
toy rabbit who gets separated from his owner. And then the other two voices are Mary J. Blige and Tim Blake Nelson. And like just reading the, the character descriptions for both of them, I thought they were kind of perfect, particularly Tim Blake Nelson as like this, uh, you know, old, old clown. Um, yeah, I don't watch a lot of family shows or, or children's programming, but Lost Ollie, there's something about it. I don't know, maybe it's just my, my love for Toy Story, but it, it, it speaks to that. This feels like Netflix's version of Toy Story. And uh, you know, I, I always try to support my girl, Gina. Uh, Netflix also announced, um, what is it, Yasuki? Which is, it's uh, the, the Lakeith Stanfield, like African samurai warrior show. It's an anime series. I'm not a big anime guy, but I might check out an episode of this just to, just to see Lakeith's take on an African samurai warrior. Um, but, you know, maybe not so much the, the anime show, but La Sali, it's all, it's all part of a plan to sort of compete with Disney for those family eyeballs, for the you know, younger audiences. Um, meanwhile, Disney just crossed the 100 million subscriber mark on Disney Plus, which is like, you know, that's only after 16 months. That's no easy feat. It took Netflix and Amazon a long time to, to, to reach those numbers. And I think that you're only going to see Disney accelerate as it puts out more and more Marvel shows and uh, Star Wars shows. Like, you know, to this date, you know, they've had WandaVision, The Mandalorian and Hamilton. But I think that there's just a lot more coming that, that appeals to a, a, you know, a larger breadth of, of audience. And so, you know, I don't know that they'll catch Netflix this year or even next year, but I think that uh, they're, they're definitely moving moving pretty quickly disney um and and the pricing is just pretty solid i, I don't think i don't know what exactly it costs but uh I, I don't think it's more than like seven bucks a month which you know is a tough bargain to beat uh russell crowe and aaron taylor johnson doing rothko from from sam taylor johnson aaron's wife uh i think that involves that's like a, a legal thing right isn't that it's like a court battle or whatever that's set in the art world? I'm not even sure. But I like the idea of Russell Crowe and Aaron Taylor Johnson teaming up. Nicole Kidman producing the YA thriller Mice, which is like a, a psychological thriller about a girl and her mom who are sort of pushed to their limits as they confront the, their own moral convictions and, and, you know, the line between right and wrong in the face of bullying and, uh, and violence and, and whatnot. Um, I don't know that Nicole is going to star in this. She, she is one of these people where it's just like, She's producing so many shows. I don't even, I can't even keep them straight. I don't even know if she can keep track of them all. But, uh, but this one skews a little bit younger. We don't know if she's going to actually be playing the mom or not, but it, it does sound interesting. I can't, I can't lie about that. Nicole Kimmon just has a good taste. She's got a good literary eye, her and her producing partner, uh, per sorry. Uh, Willem Dafoe is cast in Yorgos Lanthimos's Poor Things. These two guys, match made in heaven, right? I feel like they would uh, they would get along swimmingly. Poor Things is like a Frankenstein type tale uh, where you know Emma Stone's character sort of gets reanimated as a sort of uh, oversexed. I don't want to say bimbo, but like it's it's I don't know. It's an odd choice, um, but I'm sure that that character becomes empowered by the end. Uh, and yeah, I would keep an eye on the cast for that one because I think that's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, Emma Corrin doing Lady Chatterley's Lover. This is a movie made for, you know, my grandmothers who grew up with Lady Chatterley's Lover. I, 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 
yeah, Emma Corrin is a sort of part of that new British wave of, of talent, uh, you know, who's on the crown. I can't keep track of the people on the crown and the great and normal people. They're all, they might as well, well, all be the same actors to me. Uh, and speaking of the great, El Fanning, cast as Ali McGraw in Francis and the Godfather. I think Ali McGraw was Robert Evans' girlfriend, if I want to say. So she'll be sharing scenes with Jake Gyllenhaal. Again, I'm just not, I'm not excited about these making of the Godfather shows. I know everyone thinks it's so fascinating. I'm like, Robert Evans, Peter Bart, Francis Ford Coppola, all these big personalities behind the scenes. But uh, I don't know, seems a little too, too inside baseball to me. Uh, Billy Lord joining Ticket to Paradise. So, I, I, Oh, and that one, I, I got to eat my words there because that, that sounded like one of those packages that pops up at, at you know the European film market that never gets made. But again, Universal picked it up and they're serious. It's full steam ahead, uh, you know, with Billy Lord joining, you know, Clooney and, and Julia Roberts. Like this, this movie's happening. So I, I, I take back what I said on earlier podcasts where I, I question whether that one would ever actually go before cam cameras. Uh, Florian Montino, who was great in Creed 2. He was the guy who Michael B. Jordan boxes. He's joined the cast of the Borderlands movie that Eli Roth is making. He's going to be playing teeny... Tiny, tiny Tina's protector or whatever. I really liked him in Creed too. I'm surprised that this guy hasn't gotten more work because he's just an absolute beast. Uh, I mean, you know, if we're like, and I like Dave Bautista, I like John Cena, but like if we're making these guys movie stars, we can't, you know, we can't get another role from Florian Montino. Come on. Uh, so congrats to him. Chrissy Clemens just closed the deal for The Flash. I, I didn't even know this was news. Like, I, I guess it was because we were like, oh, is she in? Is she, is she Yeah, what's going on? But I don't know. She's in, she's in the Snyder Cut as, as Iris West. I just, I don't think that you take someone like her and, and give her a role and then there's director switches and then you take it back. And it was just too public that, that she was the choice for this character. And I mean, the choice, like I said, she'd already filmed the, the Justice League stuff, so. I, okay, I guess this is news. Um, bunch of TV stuff. Derek Cecil, I broke that story. Cast as Donald Rumsfeld in the First Lady. This is not, you know, the, the Donald Rumsfeld that most of us know. But when he was chief of staff, or not chief of staff, he was uh, second. He was, I think, he was chief of staff and then Secretary of Defense for Gerald Ford back in the seventies. Uh, and I really like Derek Cecil. He's like a classically trained theater actor. I thought he was quite good as Seth Grayson on House of Cards. Uh, he was good in, in The Outsider, too. Stanley Tucci joining the cast of the Russo Brothers global spy thriller Citadel on Amazon. Uh, oh, you know, hey, Tucci gang for life. Always good to see the, the, the Tucci lining up work. Uh, CBS renewed The Equalizer for season two. I had no idea this show was even so big. It's like the number one show on television. Are you kidding me? Total shocker. Uh, but hey, people love the queen. Long live the queen. She's got more equalizing to do. Good for CBS. I, I don't know uh, what is happening with Clarice. They haven't announced a season two pick up for that one, I don't think. Um, but uh, I don't know. Am I surprised that Clarice didn't do as well as the equalizer? I guess not. I mean, I don't know if I would have put money on Clarice outdrawing out the equalizer and Queen Latifah, but. That, that's that's the difference. Star power, right? Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek joining season two of Russian Doll. I watched the first half of Russian Doll, the, the first few episodes. 
I'm not big on time loop stuff. You know, I didn't love Palm Springs. I'm a big Groundhog Day guy. So I just, I don't know if I'll ever go back and, and finish Russian Doll. Um, Powderpuff Girls, I do not give a shit, but uh, they're going to be played by Chloe Bennett, Dove Cameron, and Yana Peralt for whoever does. Uh, I don't know if I got the Chucky scoop out before I taped the last week's episode, but in case you missed that, Collider broke the, the news that Devin Sawa is going to lead the new Chucky TV series. They also got uh, Zachary Arthur and uh, Tio Briones from Ratchet. Big fan of uh, you know John John Briones from uh, Versace American Crime Story, and he was in Ratchet, and his his own son um, was in that show, and now he's is one of the four leads on the Chucky TV series, which I have a good feeling about because it's from Don Mancini, the Child's Play you know, creator, like it's, it's the original Chucky with, with Brad Dorf and everything. Uh, not that I hated the, the new remake with, with um, Aubrey Plus or whatever, but you know, there, there, there's no replacing that, that uh, the, the original design and everything. FX is announced that it's doing a Fleischman is in trouble series based on the book by Tamacy, uh, sorry, Tammy Brodesser Ackner. I've heard nothing but good things about this book, although I can't really bring myself to read it, I'm, I'm so backed up on books as far to, as it goes. Um, and that's, you know, that's like a little bit too highbrow for me. I don't even know if that's true because I haven't read it, but I don't know. I don't know. The, 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 the best-selling books that typically get adapted for film and television are the stuff that, that uh, it's tough for me to read. I prefer, you know, detective fiction and true crime and stuff. Hulu picked up uh, Chloe Grace Moretz's new movie, Mother Android, which marks the directorial debut of Matson Tomlin. Bruce Campbell announced that Evil Dead Rise is definitely happening this year. I don't know much about that one, but uh, I'm all for more Bruce Campbell and Evil Dead. Uh, Miramax announced a release date for Wrath of Man. It's Guy Ritchie, Jason Statham action thriller. That's going to hit theaters on April 23rd, so one week after Mortal Kombat and two weeks before Black Widow. So there will be a, a nice little space there end of April for that movie to potentially uh, make some money. I mean, it's like an armored truck uh, heist movie, which I, I think those kinds of things do pretty well, and, and people like Jason Statham. Sony's doing an animated uh, movie about K-pop music stars hunting demons. Okay, sure. That's one way to, to jump on the bandwagon. Um, Okay, whatever. Uh, a lot of like Oscar stuff. Um, I guess I should plug the latest episode of For Your Consideration that I taped the other day with Scott Manson, Perry Nemerup. We talked about the PGA awards uh, or the PGA nominations, the DGA nominations, the ASC nominations did not make the cut because they were announced afterwards. But Cherry was the big surprise there. I can't believe Cherry got a cinematography nod. I mean, I, I get that um, Newton Thomas Siegel had a lot it, you know, changed the, the visual style and language for the different segments. Um, but, you know, to me, visually, it just kind of felt all over the place. Uh, although I suppose that is the point is that it reflects this, the state of mind of its, uh, of its protagonist. I'm just saying not a lot of people were predicting Cherry for, for a, a cinematography nomination. We'll see if it gets an Oscar nomination come Monday. All right, uh, Mike Fleming at Deadline also dropped a, a hot scoop that the Oscars might be moving out or uh, moving to Union Station. I don't know if that's an out, uh, that's not outdoors, right? Um, I think it would be cool to do an outdoor show, to do it at like the Hollywood Bowl or whatever, but Union Station can apparently accommodate thousands and thousands of people and, you know, uh, the Academy wants the nominees to show up. Um, and if so, then they'd have to be all socially distanced. So, uh, 
yeah, I think that would be interesting. I think anything that just sort of shakes up the status quo would be interesting. And, and they might as well experiment. This is the year to do it because I don't think many people are going to be watching. We also got a photo, speaking of like Oscars and awards. I mean, this is going to be one of the big awards contenders next year. We got the first photo from uh, House of Gucci, Ridley Scott's movie starring Lady Gaga and Adam Driver. The two of them looked friggin' awesome outdoors and like, you know, <laughs> uh, bougie ski, ski clothing and whatnot. Yeah, that was sort of, you know, what's going on with, with the the Oscars and stuff. I, I do want to get my own, like, if I had a ballot thing out before Monday when the Oscar nominations are announced. And we will be doing an FYC episode that day, so be sure to tune in on, on Monday afternoon uh, where we talk about, you know, the, the nominations and everything. I can't wait to see who was right and who was wrong about stuff and how many nominees there are going to be because this year there's still that sliding scale where it's up to 10, which means it'll almost never never be 10 and I think this year, I don't even think that there will be nine. I'm banking on seven or eight Best Picture nominees this year, but we'll see. Um, I also want to plug Vinny Mancuso's Kevin Smith interview over at Collider. It's, you know, the two of them talk New Jersey. It's it's just a, a fun time. So so check that out. Kevin Smith talks a lot about you know the new Mallrats movie and the Clerks movie. And you know Kevin. He's not, he's always got to, something to say. Um, LA Theater is about to reopen. And apparently Disneyland or Disney World, one of the Disney places. Um, I just don't know why we're like rushing this. You know, we've come this far. Why does it have to, why do LA theaters need to reopen this weekend? There's not even like product for these movies. Why not just wait to do a big America reopens thing on Memorial Day weekend, you know, end of May or even 4th of July before, you know, everything starts you know, reopening because I feel like only 10 to 20% of people in, in each state are vaccinated. Um, I, again, I just don't know what the rush is, but, but then again, when AMC is posting, you know, $5 billion losses on the year, I, I guess that is the rush. Uh, <clears throat> we got about 15 minutes left in the show, a bunch of things I wanted to talk about. Well, I guess speaking of the, the, you know, the LA theaters reopening and the vaccine question, like there was a story, I think this is really the story of the week. It was from LA Times, although I read about it first in Variety. Uh, and it's basically about how this like vaccine, oh, excuse me, oh, this vaccine clinic opened up in Pasadena. And, you know, within a matter of hours of the 1,500 slots that it had, 900 were taken by Hollywood executives and, you know, people who work in the business. And I mean, there's, I'm of two minds in this because I, I, I did uh, share the story on my Twitter and presented it without comment. On, on one hand, it's like, okay, Hollywood people are people too. And, you know, uh, we all need to be vaccinated at some point. Like, I, I get that we need to wait our turn to wait until we are eligible, right? But then, then again, there are so many people who are eligible, but can't spend the time. They can't take the time off work or whatever it is to go get the vaccine. What are we supposed to do? Not fill these appointment slots, not, not hand out this vaccine and just let it get go to waste. So that's one hand about it. The other hand is that, man, Hollywood just does not give a fuck about anyone but its own. Okay. They, they protect themselves. It's no different than the police you know, protecting themselves with the blue line of silence. I mean, Hollywood people, it's just, they just, it, it, it is tough. There are just times when 
I know I've met so many great people in Los Angeles and a lot of people work in the business and, and, and they are true friends of mine. But, you know, for every one of those people that I meet, there's two people who are just craven assholes who are only out for themselves. And that's how this, like Hollywood just knows like everything because everything starts with agents. I mean, you can't even open a fucking vaccine site, right? Without marketing or publicity or whatever. And so Hollywood just always has its finger on the pulse. You know, everything that's going on everywhere. So when this, this vaccine clinic opens, you just, you know, someone sends one person the link and then that person sends one person the link. And within a matter of hours, 900 people have the link. It's all entertainment reporters, right? Uh, you know, that's how the LA Times got onto this story because someone sent it to them expecting, hey, go get the whole newsroom vaccinated. Instead, they're like, wait a second, this is a story. And they just ended up shutting the clinic down. It's like, we're not even going to cancel these 900 appointments because that would take fucking forever to make all these calls. Just shut it down. Leave a sign on the door. People come to get vaccinated. Sorry, you blew it. Um, it. It's just, it was sad. It was honestly sad to see that like, that is how everything works in almost in life. I'm telling you, like it, it really, that story really exemplified the issues that I see in Hollywood every day. Uh, Pepe Le Pew, big Pepe Le Pew week, right? He was everywhere. Um, you know, I, I, a lot of people I saw saying, oh, well, it's kind of ironic. Max Landis was the one who was going to write a Pepe Le Pew movie. I mean, you know, given what he's gone through or been accused of and Pepe's behavior. But it's like he, he said something very wise uh, this week. because I still follow Max on, on Instagram. Um, I, I don't think that you can just ignore these people, by the way, who have been banished by, by society. Actually, you can learn a lot from them. They have, you know, a, a unique point of view on things. But like with Pepe Le Pew, Pepe Le Pew is not a real person who, you know, has to go to therapy uh, and, and treatment or rehab to like fix his weights. He's a fucking cartoon character. And so like rather than just banish him and get rid of the character outright, you could actually change the character, okay? It is human beings who make the decision to animate Pepe and tell him how to behave and what to say. So rather, right, than, than just having him hit on everybody in sight and trap women or female characters in, in rooms and, and things like that, why don't you use Pepe Le Pew as a way to demonstrate consent rather than just pretend that the character never existed? Like, you know, the actress in the, the Space Jam 2 scene with Pepe Le Pew, she was upset that the, that the scene got cut because that's why she signed on. It was an empowering scene for her. And, and I think that, um, again, I just, there has to be a better way to go about this stuff than just, you're canceled, right? I mean, if Pepe Le Pew is someone who is never going to change, then I, I get it but he's an animated creation who can be modified. So why not try modifying him? Uh, James Gunn called out the Illuminati in a tweet about Adam Warlock saying, you know, where do you guys come up with this stuff? Who said that he has to be Caucasian? If I wanted a Zac Efron type, I'd just go get Zac Efron, all this stuff. Um, part of me was, you know, delighted by it because, you know, I've talked about the, Illum the, the Illuminati on this podcast. Uh, on the other hand, listen, I mean, let's just be honest here, James Gunn. You are probably casting Adam Warlock. Has casting begun yet? That I can't say. And in fact, I doubt that it has. Maybe it has, though. It seems a little early to me, but 
let's be serious. Adam Warlock probably going to show up in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Adam Warlock traditionally depicted as this white blonde character. Do I say that you're limiting yourself to a Caucasian actor? No. But if I had to put a probability on it, I would say, yeah, more than 50% probability the character will be white. Um, so that's really all they reported, right? As far as the Zac Efron type goes, that is just a, a, a clear example of the Illuminati not knowing what it's looking at. They don't understand the way that these agency grids work and, and the way that prototypes work. Just because someone is the prototype doesn't mean that that is who they want necessarily. It's, I just, you know, when you have uh, people interpreting information who cannot speak the language, then what good is a fucking interpreter, okay? Like, you got to know what you're talking about here. And I do think that the Illuminati, it's just basically in over its head on almost every single story it writes. Um, so, again, while I personally enjoyed seeing James Gunn drag the site's name through the mud, because uh, maybe other people, maybe it'll encourage fans to sort of be a little bit more skeptical of what they read there and, and wait for proper reporting on stories. Uh, I, I imagine that, like, the, the thing last week with Ewan McGregor being an Andor, I imagine that there's a kernel of truth to what the Illuminati did report. Um, but yeah, you just, you can't be going off fucking agency grades. Like, I know what you're looking at. Someone show this podcast to, to the Illuminati. Like, I, I just, I just, what what is in it for these people? Is it the thrill of reporting the stuff? Is it that I'm just trying to make some side money like, is this their day job? Is this a full-time thing for them? Are they, you know, working in sales somewhere, selling tires, but this is what they do at night is, is, is post this stuff out of grids? I just, I don't know. But try and, you know, think about where you're getting your news from and who you actually trust in this business. Uh, the, the, the first hour or whatever of the Justice League leaked or, or Justice League was... The, you know, when you clicked on Tom and Jerry on HBO Max, instead it started playing Justice League. I don't know if that's just a way to boost Tom and Jerry's numbers, you know, because once this this story gets out, then everyone was clicking on Tom and Jerry. Does that count as a Justice League view or does that count as a Tom and Jerry view? Like, I'm surprised HBO Max hasn't come out and said 40 million people have watched Tom and Jerry. Well, that's because they were all expecting to watch to, to, to uh, you know, see the Snyder cut. Um yeah, a, a very weird story. Probably a, a publicity move. Probably an intentional thing from HBO Max. I can't imagine somebody got fired. If anything, they probably got promoted for it because that that definitely got to some pickup. Uh, but then again, everything with Snyder Cut does, right? Snyder Cut, Snyder Cut. Um, I read there was some interesting. I don't know if it was like a tweet or a story or whatever, but like, what is going on? With, all right, I know what it was. Cameron Crowe switched agencies. He left CAA, went to UTA. I don't think he's made a movie in like five years since Aloha, which I know had the whole, you know, the, the racial stuff about it. But like, what have we, what have we fucking canceled Cameron Crowe? Like, what is going on? It's just, it's a curious case. I, I know, you know, Cameron Crowe is not exactly someone who's just like out there making a new movie every year like Woody Allen. But like, Cameron Crowe is a fantastic unique filmmaker a wonderful storyteller and i'd love to see him a, a streamer step up and give him some opportunities like why would why are netflix or apple or amazon not just giving you know cameron crowe 30 40 million dollars to go do whatever the fuck he wants like that's a guy who's earned it 
Um, all right, we talked about that. We okay, trailers. We've got some new trailers this week. One for, uh, I'm going to go backwards here. Golden Arm just debuted a trailer with Mary Holland as like uh, an arm wrestling champion. I really like her. Um, I thought she was quite good in, in Happiest Season, which I believe she co-wrote. And uh, yeah, I, I, I want to see this. I've been hearing about that movie for, for a long time. Kung Fu got a trailer, which I, I want to tell you all to go watch on the CW because it was written in part by my girl, Linda G, who I work with at The Wrap and, and Tracking Board. Really, really proud of Linda reinventing um, herself from a, a journalist to a TV writer now. And she's fucking kicking ass. So Kung Fu, check it out. Oxygen, Alejandra Aja, Alexandra Aja. I love saying that. Um, that's a new Netflix movie, I believe. And that is with uh, Melanie Laurent. Uh, check out the trailer for that one. It looked interesting. Them looked pretty good. That was like, uh, it reminded me a lot of Jordan Peele's Us. Us, Them, get it? And that is from uh, a creator by the name of Little Marvin and Lena Waithe. But, it, you know, it's nice to know Jordan Peele's not the only one sort of imbuing his, his genre material with a socially conscious... Uh, messages and whatnot. Uh, and then we got a trailer finally for City of Lies, which I actually watched last night. That is the Johnny Depp, uh, you know, investigating the murder of, of Biggie movie with Forrest Whitaker. Um, yeah, interesting timing, giving everything that, that Johnny Depp's been going through, but, it, but at the same time, it arrives on the heels of the Biggie documentary, which is on Netflix. And I mean, this, this movie shot like four or five years ago. It got held up in the illegal who knows what the hell because Johnny Depp assaulted a crew member. Uh, but it's finally seen the light of day. And I think it's a lot like Silk Road. I think it's a movie that maybe not be wholly successful, but is certainly watchable just on the strength of its story alone. Like it's a fascinating story. City of Lies, just like, uh, just like Silk Road was. Um, not much in the way of reviews from me. Like I said, I watched City of Lies. I've been watching a lot of TV. I watch all of the Apple series calls, which I can't talk about yet. I watched the first episode of the Mosquito Coast. I watched the entire Moment of Truth ser uh, docuseries about the murder of James Jordan, which was pretty good. Uh, keep an eye out for that one. I watched a couple of horror movies last night, Honeydew and, uh, and Come True, which I'm not sure if I can talk about quite yet. Uh, although I think that they were at festivals. Um, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of, of Honeydew. Uh, starring Sawyer Spielberg, um, Come True was, was a bit more interesting, for sure. Uh, and then we close the show with some mailbag questions. First from Keltrick Pickens. Hi, Jeff, hope all is well with you. Two questions, with uh, week to week clearly being successful for The Boys, WandaVision, and Mandalorian, and other shows, do you think Netflix has taken notice, and will they do the same for Stranger Things Season 4 or other big shows that they have? That's a great question, Keltrick. I don't know. If I was Netflix, I probably wouldn't want to mess with the release strategy. But I, at the same time, I acknowledge that it's a lot cooler to get two months of publicity rather than just like one huge weekend, you know, but that's sort of Netflix's thing. Like that's, you know, Netflix has so much stuff that they, they have to sort of give each big thing its own weekend. So it's tough to launch a new property right on a Friday or Saturday, whenever it is, when everyone is really just on Netflix to check out the new episode of Stranger Things or like that, like, like they have been for WandaVision or Mandalorian. So that may uh, prevent them from, from going that route. And they may just say, you know what, Th this has always been, we drop them all at once and we're gonna continue with that. 
because why, why mess with a good thing? Uh, Keltrick's other question says, do you see the bottom falling out of superhero stuff anytime soon or is it here to stay? I can't wait for the Batman, Spider-Verse 2, Spider-Man 3, No Way Home, the next season of The Boys, but it also feels like we're scraping at the bottom of the barrel with Blue Beetle and the Eternals. The Eternals I hear is awesome. I mean, I'm looking forward to these sequels like Ant-Man 3 or Doctor Strange 2 uh, or, or Thor Love and Thunder. I'm looking forward to some of the Marvel shows. Like, you know, I think Loki looks pretty cool and, and even Falcon and Winter Soldier looks like it has like a lethal weapon dynamic to it. Um, and I think people are excited about the X-Men coming in or, or the new Fantastic Four. So I don't know that Marvel is uh, really, you know, going to die down anytime soon. DC, you know, I really want to see something out of that Gotham PD series. Uh, you know, it's like, there, I think there's a lot riding on that, but you're right. Blue Beetle, some of these things, even like Black Adam, I'm just like, what, who are these characters? Well, why do I care about this stuff? I don't know. I don't want to say that, it, that the bottom's falling out because I think that there's probably, a, yeah, I don't think this stuff's going away. I mean, just, you know, even when Netflix is making a superhero movie starring Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer, like everyone just wants superhero, 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 any way that you can get it. So I'm going to have to say no to that, Keltrick. And finally, we close with Will Drowdulous. Hey, Jeff, I was curious if the Snyder Cut was something that would be eligible at the Oscars next year if it was going to be submitted for Emmy consideration or neither since it technically already came out in 2017. I don't actually know what the deal is with that. I don't think it would be eligible for Oscars because I, I don't know that it was ever really intended for theatrical release, this four hour cut, you know, I, I think it was sort of always designated for HBO Max, but I don't know if it is considered original enough to be up for an Emmy consideration. Listen, I gotta be honest, I don't think it has to worry about Oscars or, or Emmys. So don't, don't sweat it too much, Will. Uh, all right, it's two o'clock. I got to sign off. You know, uh, we've got other people who, who need Thad's expertise here. Thank you, as always, for watching the Snyder Cut. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Cameo at, at the Snyder. If you do order a Cameo, make sure to order it uh, not on the app, but on the website. Go to the website. And uh, yeah, stay tuned to FYC on Monday. Other than that, have a wonderful weekend. If you can get vaccinated, sign up and get one. Otherwise, keep wearing a mask, keep washing them hands, and stay safe, folks. Later.